This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 12 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Also joining us tonight is Daryl Cooper. Good evening, Daryl. Happy to be here. Everyone is insane. Everyone is insane. I have been thinking about this lately. The clinical definition of insanity is a mental illness of such a severe nature that a person cannot distinguish fantasy from reality, cannot conduct their affairs due to psychosis, or is subject to uncontrollable impulsive behavior. That's the clinical definition of insanity. And I was reading about someone recently that was clinically insane. And then I was also reading a book about a particular general during a war who, he wasn't maybe clinically insane to this level, but his actions started to make me think that he actually does have some level of insanity because he couldn't distinguish fantasy from reality. So let's break this down a little bit Uh, because I think I'm right. What I think is everyone's insane on some level. So first of all, think about this. The first section there, cannot distinguish fantasy from reality. Cannot distinguish fantasy from reality. Okay, so you get the stereotypical person on the street that's yelling at a telephone pole or whatever, right? They're delusional. They don't think other people can see what they're doing. They think they're more capable than they are. You know, that's that's kind of the thing that clued me in off this whole idea was this, this particular military general who was doing things who didn't understand the reality of the situation that he was in. Just didn't understand it. So cannot distinguish fantasy from reality. That's part one. Part two, cannot conduct affairs due to psychosis. What does that mean? That means you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Is there anyone listening to this? Echo Charles, is there any day that you don't exactly do what you're supposed to be doing? Does that ever happen? You don't conduct your affairs the way you're supposed to? Does that ever happen to you, Daryl? Has there ever been a day where you didn't quite conduct the affairs you were supposed to do? Well, no no, no comment. (laughs) Okay. Subject to uncontrollable impulsive behavior. Do we even need to ask that question? Right? What about a donut? Who? What about a piece of pizza? What about the anger? What about the smashing of the whatever, the, 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 the kitchen counter? Uncontrollable impulsive behavior. You can't stop yourself from doing that thing at that moment. And here's the other part of this, and it's not part of the definition, but I looked it up and it is, it is part of insanity, is that insane people don't know that they're insane. They don't know that they're insane. They're not aware of it. And this is another thing, reading about this particular military leader who didn't realize what was happening. He didn't see how obviously mistaken he was with the moves that he was making. Like anybody on the outside would look and say, oh yeah, this guy is clearly making mistake after mistake after mistake. And he didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize it. And I think what happens is, what what that reminded me of 
is that you're, if you allow your head to be an echo chamber for your own ideas and your own thoughts and you only let those thoughts rattle around in there, it's not going to go well after a while. It ends up in a feedback loop. Was that a positive feedback loop? It's a positive feedback loop. It's feedback on a on a on an amplifier. <clears throat> what does that mean? It means we need to be able to to detach. You know, if you wanna if you wanna distinguish fantasy from reality as a human, you gotta detach from the situation you're in. If you want to conduct affairs regardless of how you're feeling, feeling you gotta detach from that. If you wanna overcome your impulsive behaviors, you've gotta detach. You gotta be able to take a step back and detach. And by the way, if you don't do that, you don't realize your own psychosis. And this is similar from a leadership perspective if you're in an echo chamber from a leadership perspective. If, if I'm the leader and I'm coming up with ideas and Echo's a yes man and Daryl's a yes man and they're saying, yeah, boss, great idea, that sounds great. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. And no one questions me, no one pushes back. We're caught in an echo chamber of ideas and we're gonna fail. Or chances are we're gonna fail. So we need to push back against ourselves. We need to question ourselves. We need to remember that the reality that we see, the reality that we actually see with our own two eyes looks different from other people's eyes. And you need to see if you can see what they're seeing. You gotta remember how things look compared to what other people think they look like. You gotta remember that this idea of being insane is something that we all have a tendency to lean towards, right? We, we, we fail to identify or accept reality. It's one of the things I was talking about with a bunch of businesses as, as COVID kicked off. There were some people that were oh, go, we, 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 we're not gonna be locked down, this, this can't last. Oh, fast forward six months, three months, one year. People didn't accept the reality that they were facing. We're just gonna keep doing things that doesn't work. So, you, so we have a tendency to fail, fail to accept reality. We have a tendency to fail to do what we're supposed to do. We have, the fa- we have a tendency to fail to conduct our affairs. That's a tendency that we all have. We have a tendency to fail to control impulsive behavior. These are things that everyone, no one can deny these things. And we don't even recognize and realize what we're doing. So we don't even see that little bit of psychosis setting in. We don't even see, we don't even see that little bit of psychosis setting in where we are actually losing touch with reality. Our heads in an echo chamber. And the echo chamber amplifies the lies that we're telling ourselves. It amplifies our problems, prevents solutions. So what we have to do is we have to detach, we have to ask questions, we have to listen. Don't be a yes man to yourself. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. So, insanity. What do you think, Daryl? Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I think uh, one of the one of the most interesting things, interesting points to make to people in this respect is just like so many other qualities about people, right? Take take courage for example. You know, some guys who would run into a firefight 
at the drop of a hat to rescue their friend, but they just they don't have the courage to stand up to their wife when she's acting in a certain way or something like that, right? It's domain specific, and insanity is often domain specific. It makes me think of this uh, this one woman I knew very well. I still know her. Um, she's a, she's a she's a great person, very intelligent, philosophy degree, master's degree, you know, graduated with honors in philosophy. Um, she works in education. She's been a teacher, vice principal, and administrator, and she's the best bureaucrat that anybody who has ever worked with her has ever seen. She's great at her job. Everybody who knows her, she's she's brilliant. She's great. She's just a normal person. I knew her very very well. And um, she had a touch of paranoia that she, she, was, she was an anxious person, a little bit paranoid. Now, some people are paranoid. They think uh, people are talking about me behind my back when they're really not interested. That's a version of it, right? But it escalates. And one time I was having a conversation with her, and uh, she said that, you know, I think at work, our secretary at work, you know, she brought cookies for everybody at work um, the other day, and or, or today, rather. And she and the secretary... Uh, had been having some problems in my friend's eyes, right? She would tell me the stories about the problems they were having, and I'm like, I don't know. I, I think there's a – she could have just meant that in a totally innocent way. I think maybe you're blowing it out of proportion, right? But the accumulation of those incidents led her to think that the secretary had it in for her. And so she asked me um, – she's like, but I didn't eat any of the cookies. And then she looks me in the eye. I'm just hearing like, okay, the, she brought cookies and you didn't eat a cookie. And she looks me dead in the eyes and says – do you think she was trying to poison me? And I said, listen to me very carefully. And I told her very carefully or very seriously. I said, no, I don't think she was trying to poison you. And do not repeat that to anybody else. Okay. And because that's a crazy thing to think. I mean, it was completely outside the realm of possibility. And so she didn't repeat it to anybody else. And you know, she even said like, yeah, I know it's ridiculous. I was just joking. And then she kind of just went about it and nothing happened. But you think to yourself, what if I wasn't there to tell her that? And I was somebody she trusted who could get through to her to like let her know that that's not a good idea. Um, if she had gone to her supervisors and said, I think the secretary is trying to poison me. And they would have been like, excuse me? And they would have, I mean, and the whole thing could have been, it could have escalated into something where she would have lost her job. She may have been committed to a, a who knows? I mean, it could have really gotten out of hand. And what happens a lot of times is then maybe people think, um, you know, somebody like her would think, well, everybody's in on it. They're all on her side. And that's how that thing, that, that kind of thing starts to, to escalate. That's that positive feedback loop you were talking about. And we do it on an individual level, right, where you don't want to, or you surround yourself with yes men. We do it on the group level. You think of people like cults, like Jim Jones, where, you know, dissent is not allowed. And so there's this, you happen to have a small group with a dictator at the top, and there's nobody around who can actually criticize him or tell him he's wrong about anything. So they just go off into the stratosphere. And you see it happen with whole nations where dissent is banned in North Korea. You can't criticize anything that's going on. And so the people at the top, if they're a little unstable, you're off to the races, you know? The, the, that, that's what had me thinking about this. That's what kind of the, the, the first thing I get, like sometimes I'm doing something and I take a note in my this whole idea came from me writing down echo chambers because I, I was thinking about, well, we, we hear echo chambers a lot in the news. Oh, well, you're in an echo chamber on social media, right? When you're on the gram, for instance, Echo Charles, oh, yeah. when you're on the gram, 
whatever you look at, it feeds you more of that food, right? It gives yeah. you more. If you're looking at liberal stuff, it's gonna feed you more liberal stuff. If you look at conservative stuff, it's gonna feed, if you look at skateboarding, it's gonna feed you more skateboarding. But it's an echo chamber. And that's like an external echo chamber. But you get this internal echo chamber as well where you can't break that loop and you don't break that loop. And it's it, like you said, Daryl, there's at least some level of chance that when you said to you know your friend, hey, that she was not trying to poison you, there's some level of chance that she looks at you and says, he's, on, he's in on this too. He's in on this too. So what this idea that I had that we're all insane. We're all insane. We're all somewhere on that spectrum. And if you're not careful, you're, you're ending up in a spot that's you can't come back from. We have to watch out for it. And these things, accepting the reality of what's happening, that's another huge one. Right? You, you meet people and their life's falling apart and you look at them and you say, hey man, you need to, you know, you need to go out and look for a job. You need to stop drinking so much. You need to, you know, stop eating potato chips and freaking cheeseburgers all day. And and they're just they don't understand the reality of the situation they're in. I feel like, from a leadership perspective, that's a that's a horrible. If you can't accept reality, look around and go, okay, this is what's going on right now. The enemy's maneuvering here. The the our competitors are making this move. The market's changing in this direction. We see that all the time with businesses. The market's changing and they're they're sitting there denying reality. Denying reality of what's going to happen. I wonder what the actual criteria cuz yeah, the way you explain it, it's like it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, you have a normal person who but we're kind of insane a little bit, you know? And we can all point, you know, uh, we can all find things about ourselves that's kind of insane or whatever. But then you got for a for real insane person, clinically insane or mm-hmm. whatever, or like, you know, you go to trial for some crime and they're like, "No, he's insane," right? There's some criteria that they're like, "Hey, this is the point, the cutoff where you're like acceptable, you're not acceptably insane." Yeah, and I think my thoughts around this were if you don't, if you, we're all there. Yeah. We all have whatever tendencies we have to be insane, they're there. Yeah. Whether it's you don't do what you're supposed to do a lot, so you don't conduct your affairs properly because you're thinking about other things or you're thinking something is different or you can't control your impulse behavior. We all have some level of that. Mm-hmm. My point is if you are in your own head, in an echo chamber, that's where you start moving into the direction where you are now not able to function as a normal human being anymore. Bruh, I know a, a lady, and I've known her for a while too, where, you know, it's a normal person, straight up normal person. But now, you know how like now, like with the lockdown, varying levels of lockdown, uh, you know, we kind of got to stay inside more. Mm-hmm. Like you're for, for sure not going out to social gatherings, especially at first, you know. I mean, things change, go up and down, whatever. But so what had happened is or was she started staying inside more and more. And then the more you get used to a certain environment, the more you kind of like it's like you just adapt to it, you know. And not to mention you're literally in an echo chamber now. Yes. Because you're not talking to Fred. You're not talking to Mary. You're just in your own head. You know, Daryl's not there to say, hey, Jocko, no. Echo yeah. is not trying to poison you. Don't say that again. You're off base. There's no right. one. I'm just sitting there and it's building more and more. Yeah. The mental health problems that we're having because everyone's been forced into an echo chamber yeah. Oh, yeah. at some level. 
And not to mention, so not, and it gets, it, I, and I'm just imagining this, where it'd get worse. I'm not saying this doesn't have anything to do with, this, with the girl I was talking about, but yeah, you're in an echo chamber and then you have like the internet, which just like, are you saying it just feeds you? It doesn't, it's not an accurate representation of what's going on. So it feeds you that. So it just like puts you in that spiral. So with this lady, uh, I don't know how much it had to do with the internet, but she basically anxiety started setting in. And it got so bad that now she can't leave the house. It's like a struggle to leave the house. So then, and it makes sense because, you know, when you go out and the more people, different types of people you interact with, the more it's like, you know, you, you, you Those get are exp- reality checks. Every yeah, time exactly. you meet a person, it's yep. a reality check. Exactly right. So that, and it's like, okay, so when my family leaves for, to, they go on, I don't know, some trip or something, it leaves me by myself. It's that's almost. The, that's the. Actual echo chamber. (laughs) (laughs) Very clever. Um, I almost get this feeling of like I don't exist because you know how like if if I talk to you sometimes I think that about you too. Yeah, I I feel that as well. Yeah, but you know if I talk to you, I talk to Daryl or whatever. Even if I look at him, like I'm gonna get some feedback, feedback. You know, something. But if there's no one there for no feedback, it's like, Brad, do I even exist? Kind of a feeling, you know. But, I mean, obviously I exist, obviously. But that feeling is a real thing, like that thing. So the less you have of that, the, the less you even know how to function because you don't get, you, you know, when you go outside, you get exposed to social cues, any kind of reciprocation, like, from, from people. Feedback. Yeah, feedback. Outside feedback. Yeah. So when you stay inside... No feedback. No feedback. And you, ad- if you start to adapt to that, that's what it seems like anyway. You start to adapt to that. Then you go outside, right? You don't even know how to deal with the feedback a lot of time. You miss a lot of the feedback some of the time. Yeah. And even without COVID, how much more time are people spending staring at their phone, right? How much, how much time are they spending not interacting with other human for outside feedback? Yeah. It's happening more and more. You know how, like, you know, we all know someone who's socially awkward, right? And there's varying levels of that. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a spectrum, too. But a lot of times, socially awkward people, they tend to just be, like, in a book or in a, you know, they don't get that much exposure to, like, different types of people. And then, you know, and and that can be a big deal because, you know, like, it, the more you know somebody, right, you're going to know just with a small tone if he's serious, joking, sarcastic, mad, happy, or whatever, right? And you can literally say the same sentence in all different ways and it'll tell you all kinds of different things. So you kind of got to be in tune with that, at least to, to a significant degree. And if you're not, like, yeah, I could see how you'd just be not in touch with reality. And then that lack of being in touch leads you to have awkward interactions with people which are uncomfortable, that make you feel like, I don't want to do that again. Yep. Sometimes it might elicit you know, unintentionally a hostile response from somebody. You don't want to do that again. And those start to accumulate where it's like every time I go out and put myself out there, I yeah. get a negative response yeah. from the world. I'm just going to stay in my house. And like that's what happens with yeah. people. I mean when you read the life histories of schizophrenics, there are always people who – uh, you know, there's, there's a similar timeline, right, where you have people – it starts to show up either in puberty in the early 20s usually – and they start to exhibit certain odd behaviors. But it starts usually very small. It doesn't start full-blown. But those odd behaviors cause them to go out into the world and interact with somebody. And people are like, eh? Or mm. they interact with hostility or you're weird or whatever. Yeah. And that just makes them pull back. Mm. They get more and more isolated. 
They get more, they start to interpret those things as like people don't like me. Just, the world is hostile to me. You start mm-hmm. to get that paranoid aspect of it. Every time they go out and put themselves out there, that gets reaffirmed, you know. And by the time you meet them, you know, you're a doctor 10 years later in, a, in an institution or something trying to convince this person that there's a lot of delusions they got to work through here. They've got 10 years of life experience built up proving to them mm-hmm. the way that they see the world. You know, it's very hard to crack through that. Yeah. Man, that's a good point where it's like that two-way street, right? That feedback where it's like, okay, I'm being weird right now, but I'm doing the best I can. And I know that, right? But I'm being weird. Meanwhile, like all the normal people are like, oh, that's a weird dude. So their response is going to be that of a response from a weird dude. And that person, the, the weird dude's kind of like, oh, man, like these people, they're like, they're not cool. At the very least, they're not nice. So he goes back and then like, yeah, another person does it. Or they have an in- another interaction. And now those, these people who interpreted the guy as weird have this preconceived notion of his weirdness. So now it's even a little bit worse. Like they expect it. You know how like, okay, you have a friend who always like, I don't know, loses his temper or something like that. Like you treat him a little bit different. You know, you might not be as open with him. You might mm-hmm. not joke around with him as much. Now, if you have that preconceived notion of, of that friend, that's going to happen more and more. And then how is he going to respond? Oh, they don't. Oh, they're being you're not being as cool to me as you are with your other friends. Like, I don't like the way you treated me in front of everybody. Kind of a possibility kind of thing. So now, boom, even more strain on the relationship, more strain on the guy, you know, then he'll come back. So, yeah, the hostility just grows, just grows and grows and grows until you're just freaking far gone. Solution is get some out, outside feedback. No, get some outside feedback in your head. Yeah. That's what you got to do. You can, and you got to get outside feedback, but you also got to create your own your own questions for yourself. Yeah. And you got to ask yourself, "Hey, hey, Jonko, does it really make sense that my secretary was trying to poison me? Does that really does that really make sense?" Yeah. Run some feedback loops on yourself. Get some outside thought going, man. Yeah. You have to. You ever have a friend or person you know who just, they have this weird compulsion to like prove to everyone how X, Y, Z they are. Like oh, a lot of times, sure. a big one is like they want to prove that they're right all the time. And not the kind like where a topic comes up and they're like, hey, here's my input. The kind like everything you say is like wrong or you don't know the half of it. Like, you, you know, that kind of guy. I feel like that's kind of a symptom of that. Like they don't understand. It's like you don't just start arguments. Yeah, yeah. I think I think again, it comes down to some like social skills, right? Yeah. And what what I feel is, as you were talking, Daryl, like social skills. If you don't play basketball for a long time, you're going to lose your skills. If you Stop, you know, when you lose your skills and you do get out on the court, now you don't play very well because you haven't practiced and now you just feel bad about it. Now your confidence is gone. It's just the same thing. So you get put in these situations where you just end up on a downward spiral and you end up in your house and not leaving. You end up trapped in your own head. Not good. Not good. All right. That was the opener. We got some Q&A to do. What do we got? Okay. First question. I I work as a technician in Alaska. My supervisor and I are the only two people in the state representing the company, and everyone else is in the lower 48. There's some tension between us and a few of the admin and support roles of the company due to us not being fully trained on the administrative side of our job. 
when we request training or even reach out for help on a scenario, we're lucky to hear back at all. When we move ahead but something goes wrong, we get admin hellfire raining on us. In a face-to-face in a face-to-face situation, the obvious the obvious answer is to build the relation build the relationship to avoid this in the future. But how can I do this over long distance when the other person won't answer their phone or email until it's a problem? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad that the question here they already kind of have gone through some of the emergency checklist things. Like, okay, look, I know I should be building a relationship with this person. I know that's to solve. That's definitely the Building relationships up and down the chain of command absolutely paramount. If you wanna, if you wanna make your life and be able to execute your mission better, that's what you want to do. Now, is it harder to build a relationship over distance? Y- yeah, it absolutely is. What do we do? We have some technology now. Luckily, with with Zoom and with Skype, you can actually build pretty solid relationships through those things. I know that at Echelon Front, we are completely building relationships with our clients that we've never met in person. So it's been a year now we've had clients that we are on our second iteration of contracts working with them because 100% based on the fact that we build relationships to helping them solve their problems. So it can happen. Now what's going on when the, the thing that makes this a little bit tricky is when you got someone that won't answer their phone or email until it's a problem. So what can we do there? Put some kind of communication protocols in place that there is some kind of periodic base touching so that we know what's happening. And and look, you may or may not be reciprocated in this. So you might put these protocols in place. Hey, I'm, hey, listen, Echo, you know, hey boss, here's what's going on. I want to let you know what's happening every day. I'm going to send you a little summary email, just three or four bullet points. So you know what's happening. Boom. So I'm starting to just sort of interact with them. And then maybe it's a, hey, listen, Echo, Listen, boss, maybe once a week, if I could just get on with you for 15 minutes on a Zoom call just to make sure, touch base, make sure that we're heading in the right direction. If there's anything that you see that I might be doing wrong or any questions I might have, could we do that? Could we do 15 minutes once a week just to get this moving in the right direction? So so I, I think that's what I would do. To I would try and implement some protocol. And look, that doesn't mean I'm gonna get online and, and just talk business, right? I'm gonna still you know, talk a little bit of small talk and say, hey, yeah, how was the ball game or what, you know, how's COVID down there or whatever. Because I'm not just trying to do 100% business because then we're not really building a relationship, we're just doing business. So it's a little bit of both. Now look, if I'm working for Echo and Echo, you got, you're just super busy with all kinds of stuff all the time and I know I'm just wasting time, your precious time, it's, I get it. I might just be like, hey Echo, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Here's some questions I got, or do you got any feedback on this? So I understand you might need to streamline stream like that sometimes. So I think that's good. Um, I would say email more in advance and let people know what it is that you're intending to do. And this might be perceived as um, I'm covering my own tail, right? Hey, Echo, just letting you know this is what I'm going to do. And then when it goes wrong, I go, I, already email, I emailed you. You know, I already told you what I was going to do. Yeah. It's not, it's not that. It's not. It's not just cover your own tail. It's legitimately. Hey, Echo Charles. Here's what's happening. This is my plan. Do you have any feedback for me? Because I'm executing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that term? Do you remember that term from the military? Unless otherwise directed. Unitor. Uh, yep. Yeah. Unitor. Unless otherwise directed, mm-hmm. which means, hey, this is what I'm doing. Unless you tell me to do something de- different. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a cover your tail methodology, Mm. but it's also 
you, you look, you got to move forward. Yeah. And believe me, I operate on that all the time, up and down the chain of command. People always are telling me, hey, this is what we're doing. And they don't necessarily say, unless otherwise directed, but they know that if I want them to stop, I'll be like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I will stop you if you're going to do something that doesn't make sense. So start sending some proactive emails that are asking for some feedback. I also get the feeling maybe you know you might be going a little overboard. I don't know uh, how long your emails are. Make them simple, clear, and concise. Make them something that the subject line can practically be the whole email, yeah. right? Hey, starting on Project Alpha tomorrow, then the thing says, Bill, starting on Project Alpha tomorrow, we plan to you know start with this part of the project. Let me know if there's anything you see that I should be doing differently. Thanks for the support and help, yeah. boom. Uh, another thing, so when the admin hellfire arrives, right? So you did all this stuff that I'm talking about, you gave the precursor, you said unless otherwise directed, you're trying to build, and you still make a mistake or you do something that they wanted done differently, what do you do then? What do you do when the, when the hellfire arrives? I'll tell you what I do when somebody's got some feedback for me. Get out my notebook, take notes, got it, appreciate it, listen to the debrief, ask some earnest questions, and make some adjustments to how I'm doing things. An admin hellfire, the good thing about it, it's only gonna come one time, because then I can fix the problem, whatever that problem was. Instead of, you didn't tell me, right? If you start making excuses, you're, you're digging a hole. You're digging a hole. If you start making excuses, you're digging a hole. So don't do that. Got it, appreciate the feedback, appreciate the counsel, thank you. I will make adjustments to our standard operating procedures so that doesn't happen again. Improve the way you're doing things, which will improve your performance. And when you improve your performance, that is one of the best ways to build a good relationship. And the, no one really recognizes that, or a lot of times people don't recognize that until you think about what the opposite is. Mm-hmm. How, well, how well does doing a bad performance, how well does that help you build a relationship with your boss? Oh, I failed the project, oh, it was late, it was not on time, mm-hmm. it was under the standards. Does that help your relationship? No, yeah. it crushes it. Performance is the best way to build a good relationship. It's funny. I didn't, well, maybe I realized it. Maybe I didn't. I didn't think about how much of a thing that is. Where you know how like, let's say, let's say someone's not a dick and they're not like a super super duper nice guy. It's just a normal person, right? And you know, I don't know if you ever worked a job where like someone seemed to always be getting favoritism. Mm-hmm. You know, I still worked this job. It was a, it was a lady, she, but she would always get favoritism. She'd always get like she'd do stuff that's like, wait, we're not really allowed to do that kind of stuff. I worked at a nightclub, so you know, there's that. And every once in a while, oh, and I had this friend, and he knew about everything going on, right? Mm-hmm. So he would always tell me, hey, the reason that she gets away with that is because she brings in the most money of this whole club. She was like a VIP kind of host kind of person. She'd host parties and book parties and stuff, and she was real, like, she was really good at it. Yep. And she... She got special treatment. Oh, yeah, special, yep. the kind of flagrant special treatment. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you make excuses, like, oh, cause, <laughs> just because she's good looking or just because whatever, she's friends with that guy or whatever. Thing is, she's all of that performance. She's friends with that guy though, not cause just because they're friends. She's friend. They like her almost on a personal level. Actually, probably a little bit on a personal level because she does so well. Like, right? Absolutely. That's just how it is. You're just gonna like the person more. And so, let's say it was the opposite. Like, oh, this person's straight up failing or lazy or doesn't follow directions or loses time or whatever. Just a poor performer. 
and then they try to like talk to you on a personal level, you're like, bro, go do your job. Like, I don't even know if I like you at all, even <laughs> if they're a normal person. You know, know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, man, that's true. That's real. At the in leadership strategy and tactics, I got the thing about you know how how to perform as a new leader. And the number one thing, there's 12 of them. Number one thing is be humble. Number 12 thing is performance. Yeah. Do a good freaking job yeah. and you'll build a good relationship. If you're doing things that require an admin hellfire to, to get shot in your direction, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta work extra hard. You gotta take those corrective measures. And, and I don't know, I'm not a mind reader. I don't know all things, but it could be said that this might be an indicator of something where if you call it an admin hellfire, mm-hmm. like it's kind of like, oh, it's this big antagonistic kind of event. It's an attack. an attack. It's an attack. Exactly. Hellfire. Hell yeah. 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 So yeah. rather than, hey, like a correction or a, a productive counseling or anything like this or some good guidance, yep. you know, or nothing If like you that. can pull the emotion out of it. Yeah. That's what you do. You filter out the emotion. You filter because even if if I if you if you if I'm working for you and you come and yell at me, hey Jocko, you got didn't get this done on, done on time, and the sequence is out of order. This is ridiculous. Now, of course, are you being a great leader? No, but can I control that? No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I I filter out the emotion. Take notes on what you're saying. Sequence was out of order. Time was too late. Got it. Thank you for the feedback. Hey, let me review what sequences and things are supposed to be in and let me tighten up my timeline. Are you going to get mad at me next time? No, you're not because I will get the job done. And people don't get mad when you get the job done most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Of course, you get some bosses that are tyrannical, crazy, and they're just going to go off on whatever, which is great. I enjoy <laughs> situations like that, right? Yeah. Because when you, this is what's nice about those situations. It's like being a, it's like being a southpaw in boxing. They don't know what they they're not they're so used to dealing with people and the people get aggressive back and then they get to hate them Yeah, you know you get to hate them You know people get in those situations where you got you know you got your girlfriend and all of a sudden your girlfriend starts doing weird things because she's trying to get you to get mad at her so that she can break up with you Right you remember those days? You're like, oh, I see what you're doing. You just want, you just want to have a fight yeah. so that we can break. You, you yeah. you're sick of me or whatever. Yeah. There's people that go through life with that thing. They like yeah. the drama. They thrive on it. They want a reason to be mad at you. Mm-hmm. And if you, so, so when you, when they come at you, when they attack you with a hellfire, and you're a southpaw, and you're like, oh, they're not used to it. Yeah. So, so it's like a whole nother approach that you can take. Um, filter out the emotion. Listen to what people have to say. Do corrective measures on yourself. And look, I already know. The question is like, hey, they're not telling us what to do. Great. Hey, I'm not sure. I'm sorry that I couldn't figure this out. Can you give me a little bit more help on the sequence that I'm supposed to do this in? Because I feel like I'm letting you down. Boom. Own it. Simple but not easy. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it too. Like I would maybe even do as an exercise to try to put yourself in the mindset of the people, the admin people down south, like what if they were writing in a question to Jocko saying, got these two guys up in Alaska and, (laughs) you know, they get their admin stuff wrong and they write us emails, but we are busy down here. We got a lot going on. They want us to hold their hand. Like, what should I just, which you might, you know, and it might be a ridiculous way to look at the situation, but we've all looked, been in situations where we were the one looking at it. It's actually not a ridiculous way to look at the situation. What you're talking about is seeing other people's perspectives. And if you don't see other people's perspectives, you don't know how to respond 
in the best possible way. I've always been a fan and I've gotten great results out of when, when there's an ongoing chronic issue like that. I like to confront it directly with goodwill. You know, so come out and say, OK, look, pick somebody, um, one of the admin people that you've had some amount of successful communication with and go to them and say, look, we are probably I, we're creating extra work for you guys. We're cre you're creating some extra work for us. There's some, been some communications issues. We need some help up here. Let's let's talk. Let's smooth out this situation that we both know exists. And I, I find that if you approach it in goodwill, not instead of like I'm not the jerk, you're the jerk. Right. <laughs> that and, and almost asking for help in, in a legitimate way, like asking them for help. Um, that people usually you you can find somebody that will respond well to that. You know. Yeah. So just to make sure we don't send anybody off in a freaking wrong direction when you, you the your initial word that you use was confront i find the best thing to do in these situations is confront people no actually we don't want to we want to do what you said well, not what you situation. said yeah, <laughs> what sure, we want to sure. do is we yeah. want to address yeah. the situation and the best way to address these situations this is just such again this is leadership strategy and tactics wrote about this stuff when when i own the problem then I can say anything I want. So if you haven't me given me good direction, if I'm up in Alaska, you haven't told me what the sequence of the admin stuff is, you haven't told me how it's supposed to be laid out, you haven't given me the, 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 the templates that I'm supposed to be following, you haven't given me any of that. Instead of me saying, you didn't give me that, I say, hey listen, I haven't done a good job of figuring out where these templates are. Can you help me locate the templates on the common drive so that I can utilize them correctly? Because I can see obviously I'm missing the mark. So as the, the way you don't, the way you handle and address these things without creating animosity is by just taking ownership of the problem. Do it all day long. If, if your waitress or your waiter messes up your order and you, you, know, you say, hey, you brought me the wrong burger, that's how you get spit in your burger, right? Yes, but if sir. you say, hey, I don't think I made it, I, I, I'm not sure I said the right thing, I actually wanted, you know, whatever, I actually wanted a cheeseburger, and there's no cheese on this, I'm sorry, can I get some cheese on this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you take ownership of the problem, they're way less, uh, when you say, you brought me the wrong burger, yeah. yep, you're gonna get the burger, there's gonna be some additional ingredients that you did not order. <laughs> the way you approach them is, like, when, when you approach them, you're sort of laying out their options for a response. And if you come at them hard, you're limiting their options, you know, as far as how they can respond to you and still keep some semblance of honor and face, you know. Not only are you limiting their options, you're you're provoking the natural human instinct, which is to lash, you lash out at me, I'm lashing out at you harder. Mm. As opposed to, I own it, let's talk through it. Mm. As you said, hey, maybe you could help me show me where the templates are, or you could walk me through this one template and I'll save it so I have it for the future. There's there's two options and they're both they're both my work, me having to work and me owning the situation. What do you think about bringing up, when I said confront the situation, I guess what I meant was bring out into the open between you know the two parties, the fact that there is sort of a, not it's not just about the template this time that I didn't know about, but that there is like a general issue here. And we both know that and let's work together yes, to Yes, that's fine. Fix but, that. but I'm going to tell you right now, when you talk about this general situation, what you say is isn't isn't a hey echo obviously there's a situation here where we're not talking. Cuz cuz that even that we even though I'm making it a collective blame, he still feels the blame. Right. So right. instead of me saying, "Hey echo, 
there's a problem here. I don't feel like I'm doing a good job of getting the information I need. And I know you're super busy. I need to figure out where these templates are so I don't need to go through you every single time because I know you got a lot of stuff going on. So even bringing out the situation, I'm gonna do it in a way that the finger is pointed at me, not at you, and not even at the collective. Because the collective, hey Echo, I know we're not communicating. What is it, my job? I'm the boss here. Yeah. What are you trying to tell me? I'm not communicating with you. You're trying to tell me I'm a bad leader? Like That's where it can go. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna remove all the possibilities of that. I am the problem. Yeah. Check. What do we got next? That waitress, the waiter mm-hmm. with your food returning that bad. That's a, that's a big one, man. That one gives me some worry a lot of the time. You know, because you know when you, I worked in the industry, mm-hmm. kind of, and bruh, a lot of times you get hostile customers, patrons, bruh. It's like no one that works there likes them. Oh yeah. I've never heard of anyone actually spitting in food or nothing like mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone's ever actually done that, but you don't think anyone in the world has ever actually done that. No, or in just my experience, that you know, okay, yeah, in cool. my experience, my uh, what do you call establishment? Mm-hmm. Um, but you get other stuff, like you get other little subtle things, you know, like you know how like you can you can provide good service or bad service oh, yeah. and everywhere in between. Yeah. So if you start coming off hostile to the you know to the wait staff or whatever, the chance of them giving you somewhere other than great service is like pretty high yep and and just apply that to everywhere in life yeah just apply that to everywhere in life you uh you know you need to get your your flight got canceled yep and you get on the line with the the operator at delta or american airlines and you go you guys already canceled my flight i need to get on this next flight they're like oh let me take a look you know (laughs) sorry sir sorry sir we don't have any seats until tomorrow morning first flight's at five you can find a hotel in freaking Atlanta tonight, yeah. as opposed to, hey, what's yeah, uh, yeah, hey, how's it going? It's going all right. I'll tell you what, did, I, my flight just got canceled, and I, I don't know. Are there any options? You know, just that kind of thing. Yeah, just that kind of thing. Just being cool. Yeah, just being cool goes a long way. When I was working for the Admiral, I had to I had to do flights all the time. That's where I learned that lesson. Because if you if you call up and you say. Uh, I need to move these flights and I need to leave, you know, San Diego earlier. Yeah. They're like, well, yeah. come at me like that. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. take oh, okay. this. Uh, yeah. the, I had a re, I had an example where I did that in, I was like, I was traveling somewhere and I went up to the counter and the first person that I talked to was mad about something. Mm. I said, Hey, you know, I, was, I need to get baggage loaded or whatever. Like we can't do that. Boom. Walked away. Like whatever. <laughs> I went to a different counter. Hey, how you doing? I need to go. Yeah, we're full. Blah, blah, blah. Was, try to be nice. Oh, yeah. She pulls up her little magic computer screen. Okay, we got you. It's okay, hun. You know? She called me hun. Oh, hun. That's when you know. I knew I was good. All right. All right. Speaking of flights, I'm a fighter pilot. In parentheses, sincerely jealous of Good Deal Dave's career minus carrier landings. Obviously, that's not a fun things kind of stressful apparently and have a question about dark humor my job sometimes <coughs> consists of reducing people to pink mist hair teeth and eyeballs i was recalling conversation being being had at work that was grim even gruesome yet we were all laughing about it as i'm sharing parts of the story with my wife i could tell she looked disappointed and paused for her to interject she went 
on to explain that she found it horribly offensive and that we the horribly offensive that we would get excited over such a thing and explain that we should only ever take the actions we take with genuine or stoic reverence rather than celebrate it. Have you found an appropriate way to communicate or integrate the darker side of combat without completely ruining dinner parties? I get that knowing your audience is important, but is there a way to marry the warrior side with the civilized side? In short, not really. In short, not really. Um, and maybe, maybe I have a, you know, very closed mind when it comes to that. But you're not going to find a bunch of civilians that are going to understand this extremely dark sense of humor. And, and as I was thinking about this question, it's it's basically it's it's a similar thing to inside jokes. Mm. Right, you have a little inside joke with somebody. So uh, on the internet, memes. There's some memes that, you know, if you don't do jujitsu and you look at a jujitsu meme, it is obviously not funny. Yeah. This is zero funny. How funny is it? Zero. It's not funny. If you if you look at some kind of music meme and you don't know anything about that particular type of music, people will think it's the funniest thing ever if they're in that thing. Yeah. Uh, there, there, was, um, there was a meme of me and it said SEAL Team Drip. Yeah, yeah, I like that And one. it had like, I had uh, AirPod, AirPods in my ears and then I had like some weird Photoshopped kind of haircut and then I just had Supreme Brand like all over me, yeah. right? Some jewelry on there. And I, I, I did not know, I had no idea what this term drip meant. So I looked at it, I was like, well, you know, it's just not funny. <laughs> and I went to more, my kids and I said, what does this mean? And they, and then, you know, my daughters, because they, they are sort of, they sort of are advanced yeah. uh, meme readers. <laughs> and they, they explained to me drip and what it means to be, you know, where it came from, because you're dripping with, you know, whatever. <laughs> But I didn't get it, right? I didn't get it. <laughs> Evidently, yeah. So, so why would people understand inside jokes if they're not there? So those are like little microcosms of culture, right? Just a little, jujitsu is a little sport that you do sometimes and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And drip is an expression that gets termed, that gets used, and music is something that you listen to. So when you start talking about dark military humor, that's not just some little microcosm of life that you're living. It's not some scene that's happening. It's, it's, it's an actual way of life. It's, a, it's something that you have to have lived. Guess what you're doing, right? It's not like, oh, I do jujitsu. No, we're killing people. Oh, I like this band. Oh, my friends got blown up. Like there's a really big difference between those things. And you can't really, you can't really explain it. You can't really explain it. So that's why my answer is kind of not really. Mm -hmm. Not really. Um, so what do I do? Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. My, 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 my wife and my, you know, my wife and family are not connected to my military career. Yeah. And I don't think that's bad. 
Um, well, I would say even for your own sense of well-being, you know, they're kind of your sanctuary from that. Y- yeah, and I used to tell guys, and I still, still tell this to police officers and firefighters, when you come home from work, take off your uniform. Like, take off your uniform. When you get home, take off your uniform. Don't sit around the house in your freaking combat gear. Yeah. That's one of the best things about the SEAL teams. You'd go to work in flip-flops, surf shorts, T-shirt. You put on your uniform if you had to. And then when you're done, you take it off and you go home. Mm-hmm. So you leave that at work. Um, you know, your wife is not uh whatever. Your wife is not a fighter pilot. Mm. Y- you know what? You I didn't want to marry a team guy. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to marry a team guy. And I don't I, so I don't want my wife to be a team guy. So I I think I, I wouldn't try and um what was the word used here? I I don't try and communicate or integrate the darker side of combat with normal people. No, I don't try and do it. You do see a lot of the same that real dark gallows humor among like the mountain climbing community, mm. cops, firefighters. I, you know, it, I think it is a way of discharging anxiety that you oh, have to suppress. Hundred percent it, it is. It, you know, hundred percent it is because there is something very real there that's been recognized for a long time. There's a lot of ancient cultures, for example, the Maori come to mind. They had this, they had this ritual where when their men would go off to battle. You know, they put it in maybe spiritual terms, kind of their their religious terms. But really, you think about it, it's a recognition of what we're talking about here, that those men come back from a battle where they are clubbing other warriors to death, losing their friends, coming back from that, that they're carrying something back with them, you know, inside. And the way the culture dealt with that is when they would come back inside of their village, the priests would be up on these parapets and they would shout at them to stop. And then certain priests who had been cleansed, certain ablutions and other things would have to go out there and do these ritual cleansings on these warriors returning from battle. And then it was like a two or three week process before they were allowed to integrate with anybody, uh, interact with anybody in the village again. This whole step, they had to be initiated back into civilization basically. Hmm. And so don't, uh, I would say, you know, as somebody who's never been in combat, just thinking of it from this historical perspective, like don't downplay the fact that like, you know, when you're out there in combat, when you're doing things like this, you know, you're in that world, all your friends are in that world, and you have to be sort of in that moment and down with what you're doing in order to get through it. But at the same time, like, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't let go of the fact that there is something you're carrying with you. And, you know, you guys have to have your ways to deal with that, you know? Yeah, well, the, the, the common example is after World War II, guess what everyone did to get home from war? Got on a ship with a bunch of other guys that were just in combat, and they talked about it for four weeks and got it out of their system, and they got home, and it's like, okay— Vietnam, it was like, oh, what were you doing yesterday? Oh, yesterday I was in, I was on patrol mm. <laughs> fighting against VC. I never thought about that. Yeah, and and you, did, you there was no decompression at all. And you weren't decompressing with people that understood where you were coming from. You know, I, I said that a long time ago in this podcast. Yeah. Oh, people don't understand. Yeah, you're right. They don't. Mm. They don't. They're not going to. So, man, um, what, what is difficult, and you can see, I'm not exactly sure of the situation here, but I've had friends who were conducting uh, operations from America, like predator strikes, where they're killing a lot of people, and then at five o'clock they're going home, like to their house. They're, so they're sitting in a tactical operations center somewhere here in America, they're wiping out, you know, 13 freaking Al-Qaeda members or Taliban fighters or whatever, and then they're going home 20 minutes later. Mm. So there's a there's a different thing there. 
um, as well. And this this is just all stuff that we have to watch out for. I think, and look, it's we're not saying I'm not saying bottle it up, mm. but I'm saying think about your think about who you're talking to. Think about who you want to have that dark sense of humor with. Yeah, it seems like there was a, a little bit of expectation here too with this question, where it's like, hey, how do I? How do I basically get her to understand my dark humor or be accepting of it kind of a thing? Like when I when I interact with her with that dark humor yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And I guess what like so overall your answer is kind of like, hey, man, leave the dark humor out of yeah. her. You yeah. know, leave her alone with that dark humor stuff. There is kind of this modern idea of relationships and marriages, right, where you're supposed to be each other's best friend. And maybe to some extent that, you know, there's ways that that's true, but it means you're supposed to share everything. It's like it's your homie. It's your wife. It's like all of these things put into one. And that's not how it used to be, and I'm not 100% convinced that it's necessarily the healthiest way to be, especially when you've got a life that, you know, a whole side of your life that really is going to be impenetrable to the other person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe not. It's not impenetrable if you if you force it on them, but it's not, they're not, yeah. they're not able to comprehend it. Yeah. Uncomprehendable more than impenetrable. They're just not going to get it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... When you force it, like what you just said, when you force it on them, and I'm, I'm trying to like remember and think from experience where, I think for the most part, yeah, the more you know about each other, you know, in a constructive way, it's not the kind of like, oh, I know this, so I'm gonna use it against you. Not that obviously, <laughs> but like the more you know about each other and understand each other, I think that's usually beneficial. Um, just like you know how they say, like if you're friends with your spouse or whatever before you guys were together, like the chances of a successful like permanent relationship, marriage, whatever, go up. That's what they say. So it's like kind of that where it's like, yeah, I understand you do have that dark side and I understand, I know about it. But when you start forcing it on them, be like, hey, you understand me. Why don't you get this joke kind of thing? Or, or like, why, why do you have a difference of opinion kind of a thing? Then, yeah, it can jam you up. But yeah, you essentially let them be them and let them let you be you. Mm-hmm. But don't be like, hey, like... You need to get on board with this humor. I don't care how you feel. I don't care if it make upsets you. Get on board with it. Can't do that. No, not a good call. I don't think so either. Right on, man. Sorry, to, sorry. I can't bring your wife into the dark humor. It's not happening. At least it never happened with my wife. It's a challenge. Um, next question. Jocko slash Echo. Simple question. What are your thoughts on the vaccine? COVID vaccine. I'm assuming. I feel it was a little rushed and awful. And an awful lot of uncertainty. However, it's almost expected, quote unquote, that everyone should just take it without question. I'm not as sold as most folks. Long term effects, et cetera. Mm. Well, this podcast was fun while it lasted. Go ahead, Jocko. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I had I already had COVID. Echo, did you have it, Daryl? No. Oh, that's right. You came and recorded with yeah. me too for a long time. Yeah, my immune system was like just yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here. No fact. So I had COVID. Echo had COVID. Um, and I think we are all really far down on the list of people that are authorized or prioritized to get the vaccine. Um, in the military, I got every vaccine freaking known to man. I'm sure sure you did too, Daryl. I got. Um, the anthrax vaccine. Did you get anthrax yeah, vaccine? Sure so they, there was all kinds of you know supposed side effects, and there's people that protested it. There's people that got out of the that like got out of the military, you know, court martialed or what? I don't know if they got court martialed, but they somehow admin sept because they weren't going to take the 
the anthrax vaccine. I just got it. Like, hey, oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> That's one of my favorite echo terms. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> what we're doing. And I got every other freaking vaccine, smallpox and cholera and, and Japanese encephalitis and rabies and typhoid, yellow fever. Just, just They're just hammering you. <laughs> Do you know, Echo, when you get when you get all these vaccines, especially when you first get in the Navy or military, they do it with like, what is it, an air gun? Something like that. It's like yeah. an air gun. It's not a needle. It just, it, they just hold it up your arm. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's like a factory blasted. operation, too. You have all these dudes standing in like their te- white T-shirts with one thing, like sleeve pulled yeah. up, and there's a line of them. And you just walk up, walk up, Walk up like an assembly yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. Like a, yeah, there's some movie. I, yeah. I remember seeing the old school. Like it's what? like oh. that Pink Floyd video. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So uh, why did I get all these things? Because that's what we need to do to go on deployment. And what, what's interesting, I was thinking about this is, I don't know if this is uh, hypocritical or whatever, but you know how in flu season you can get a flu shot? Mm-hmm. I've never gotten a flu shot. Yeah. Have you ever gotten a flu shot? Like once or twice. Echo? Negative. Yeah. So I've never gotten a flu shot. Why? Because if I get sick for a few days, no factor, whatever. Um, so anyways, I don't know what what that tells you about my vaccine kind of protocol in life. Um, I don't think I'll become eligible for a long time because I'm young and healthy. I don't think any of us will be for that COVID vaccine. And I think by the time I'm eligible, it's probably going to be no factor. Uh my parents, my parents got it. My parents got the vaccine. They're in their late seventies, early eighties. They got the vaccine. Seemed like a smart thing to do. Um, and you know what? Here's the deal. When I got neck surgery, mm-hmm. when I got neck surgery, I had the awesome, the 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 the, the head neurosurgeon for the West Coast in the Navy was my neurosurgeon who had done thousands and thousands of operations, and. Ultimately, he sat down and said, hey, here's the risks. Here's what could happen. Here's what could go wrong. Um, Your call. (laughs) I'm like, bruh. (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? It's my call. (laughs) Like, you're a freaking doctor. You've been inside thousands and thousands of people's spines, and you've seen the pictures of mine, and, and, you know, you tell me. And he's like, I can't tell you. You need to do what you think is the right thing to do with all the information that you have. And so... That's kind of the, and, and you know what? That's actually the right call. Mm. You have to make decisions about your health for yourself. So uh, that's my that's my answer, man. Make some good decisions for yourself about your health. Yeah, seems, that's a good point. Like oh, I've had a lot of surgeries and they kind of tell you the same deal where even, even if like the, they'll say, hey, the probability for success of your surgery is freaking like, high you're not you know and they make it clear that hey i know what i'm doing we you know i'm very confident that's what they say confident but i every time they'd be like hey but here's the risks Mm -hmm. and here's the risk you just going under there's risks you can die and all this stuff and they tell you that so i always looked at it like okay i see what you're doing you're kind of covering your ass i guess maybe in a legal way or whatever and it makes sense to me but that's a good point where it's also like an implementation of or should i say it's also them letting you know that this is your like freedom. You're free. You're a free person. Like it's not the medical industry imposing, um, you know, this surgery on you and you having to sign this waiver because I made my disclaimer kind of a thing. This is like, hey, this is your choice, straight up. This is a free country. Here's and here's what you're dealing with. Hundred percent. My neurosurgeon says he's like explaining to me the risks. He says, um. My mentor who taught me how to do this surgery killed a person on the table. Exact words. And I go, 
I go, how did he do it? Table. He, I, I, he's, I said, how did he do it? He goes, he uh, drilled, like was, was putting screws in place or whatever and went too deep and they hit a vein or a, a artery or something and it just stopped blood and they couldn't get it together and that was that. I said, I said, I said like this, I played it off because I'm super freaking cool. I was like, I go, yeah, doc. I said, but hey, hey, doc. I mean, how many how many sides are on that die? Like, two thousand sides. And he goes, two hundred. I was like, damn. <laughs> I was like, and then you know what I ended up saying to him? I ended up saying, hey, listen, if I can have if I've seen people get freaking giant shards of metal burning metal from a mortar like rip through them and be okay I think you with a scalpel can take care of me in an emergency in a freaking operating room yeah yeah but uh, I do understand people's reluctance for this vaccine thing I see it or, or I understand because you know like with, with vaccines especially and not to mention the people who like it's almost like they want vaccines to be bad not even to mention that where he says, oh, it seems rushed, right? Where, you know, like you don't know mm-hmm. long-term effects. And regardless of like what people predict the long-term effects are, there, you know, there's no, we don't have an opportunity at this point to know the long-term effects. So that makes some people nervous. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. But like, kind of like how you said, it's like, hey, that's what we're doing. This is our best call right now as far as what what they, what people think. So, yeah, what else, what else can you do kind of a thing? Then don't get it or whatever. Are they forcing people to take vaccine? I have no idea. Not yet. They're talking about possibly implementing a vaccine passport, which would be sort of <laughs> und papers, please, uh, <laughs> kind of thing. What, for travel or just? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, see, and then that, that part gets kind of wonky. We'll see what – well. Then what it what that gets into to me isn't like a health thing. It starts to turn into a principle thing. Yeah. Right. Wait a yeah. second. You're telling me because it's the opposite of what we just talked about. What we just talked about is, hey, listen, this is a major surgery and there's risks to it, and it's your call. Yeah. And that's a lot different than, hey, here's this thing that that you have to do and you don't have a choice. Yeah. We what is America? Yeah. We we don't really like that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And if you expect pe- everyone, by the way, to be okay with it, you know, you got to understand, like, yeah, people are not going to be okay with that kind of stuff, you know. So, and that goes for even, like, the research behind the vaccine or whatever, but you can't expect everyone to be okay with it. You can't expect everyone to be like, oh, yeah, you're the government, you know more than me, or you're Pfizer, or you're whatever company, mm-hmm. and you know more than me, therefore I trust you with my freaking health. And the health of the people around me, you can't expect everyone to, to feel that way. You know, some people do feel that way. And I, I get that, too. Because yeah, the fine. fact is, it's true. Like, there's people do, working on this stuff that straight up know more than me. Straight up. Are you Obviously. sure? <laughs> You're, like, straight up trying to convince me hey, that I gotta let doctors you know, know, I know more than you about I, it this just, It just doesn't seem like it a lot of the time is what I'm saying. But the fact is, they do. So, you, could, you know, so you got to understand people are going to think that, too. You know, yeah. and that does make sense when you think about it. So it's just going to depend. And like you said, I think almost on a side note that, yeah, I think it a lot of times does become a principle thing. Mm. Like, hey, you don't feel the same way I do about the vaccine. Oh, you must be a bad person. Yeah. You know, I, I, I guess it's part of my character or my attitude about things is there's not a lot of things that get me like hyped up or spun up or whatever, you know. Yep. There's just not really a lot of things that make me get that that I really think are going to have like a big impact in what's going on. Now, the counter to that argument 
is the kulaks, right? The counter to the argument of like, hey, listen, it's look, this is just a little thing. The counter to that argument, and I had this discussion with with uh, Jordan Peterson. The counter to all me, you know, because a lot of times I say, listen, this is, don't worry about this, don't worry about that. This, 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 it's no factor. It's not that big of a deal. I think that a lot about about a lot of things. That's why I kind of have an attitude of, oh, I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about that other thing. But what always is in the back of my mind whispering is the kulaks is taking that small small step from like, well, these people, the kulaks are these evil people that f- abused their workers and owned land and took advantage of the workers to kulaks are people that owned land, to kulaks are people that owned anything, to kulaks are people that had any type of employees, to kulaks are anybody that had more money than me is where it ended up, right? Mm-hmm. That's a problem. That's the slippery slope that people, People say, look, you can't even have a discussion if you're gonna say slippery slope. Well, let's not forget, not every slope is slippery, but there are some slippery slopes we gotta watch out for. Mm. All right, vaccine, get some. Interesting. Next question, Jocko and team. I have two boys, four and two. And at some point we wanna start getting them started in some form of martial arts. I know per Jocko's comments and videos, you always recommend jujitsu. And how do I find the right place? Common question. Got asked this. This is podcast six. Have to go d- deep to podcast six. Yeah. That's how. That's five years ago we were getting asked this question. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've done a bad job of disseminating that information. <laughs> uh, you know, I've actually talked to Pete about, and you, about yeah. some kind of a thing where it's like, oh, this is Jocko approved yeah. academy. Yeah. It's a bit, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if it's necessary. Maybe it is. We're still getting asked the question. Maybe it is. I don't know. What is it? You, you're looking at me like nodding your head. What? Yeah. The Well, Keenan Cornelius, mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu guy prominent, um, is inquiring about that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Where, you know, there's so many. I got asked literally this, this question two days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the best one? Okay. Until we get that stood up, which could be two months, could be 14 years. We're not sure yet. <laughs> Listen, uh, here's here's what I said on podcast six. Google your area, look at Yelp reviews or whatever. Use Google Maps to find something that's close, right? Because proximity is important. If you sign up for a digital school that takes you 48 minutes out of your freaking uh, commute to get there and then 48 minutes to get back, we're not looking for that. Mm-hmm. Think about what you're actually looking for. You're looking for traditional jujitsu school, which has bowing, to the instructor, bowing to the mat, bowing to the picture of Elio Gracie, putting on a gi that matches everyone else's gi, or do you wanna just do sort of a more open type attitude where we're just kinda wearing whatever we're wearing and we're not really bowing on or off the mat? So, which, look, I'm down with all these things. I don't care. To me, look, I just like jujitsu a lot. I think that kind of thing can be good for kids, though. That thing that yeah. I think the discipline part of it is excellent for kids. Um, are they really into the sport thing, right? Are they really into the sport? Because if you got a kid that's super competitive mm-hmm. and they want to, you know, you're getting them into. If you're if you're four, if your five year old is just down to win, mm-hmm. and so you want to bring them to a school where it's hey, we're going to take the kids to competition. You might also have a kid that doesn't like to compete, that's too nervous, and you don't. You still want them to compete at some point, mm-hmm. but you don't want that to be what's driving the school. So so. Google proximity, find some schools in your area, and then go try some of them. And then you gotta figure out what the other students are like. 
Because there's schools where the students are jerks and there's schools where the students are awesome. Most of the time, jiu-jitsu is an equalizer, man. You can't really be a jerk in jiu-jitsu. I shouldn't really say that. Okay, I take that back. <laughs> um, that's why you got to go try different schools and see what the people are like. What are the other students like? Do this? Do this? Do the? Do the students have similar goals to what you have? What's their attitude? What's their ego? Is, are people trying to kill you? What's the instructor like? Is the instructor personable? Is the instructor clear with what they're teaching? Are, is the instructor having fun with it, right? If the instructor is not having fun, what's the instructor gonna look like in a year or two years? Um, remember, this is all stuff that I said on podcast six. Jiu-Jitsu is not a religion. And, and having a black belt does not give you direct communication with God. <laughs> mm. uh, it's not a cult. There should be an open atmosphere. You should, should, you re, should you have respect for your instructors? Absolutely, but should you worship them? No, you should not, and you shouldn't have an instructor that is acting like you should worship them. <sighs> Jiu-Jitsu should be fun. I always think um, when you talk about kids, like if you're going to get your five-year-old a piano teacher, and maybe you have dreams that one day – She's going to be playing at Carnegie Hall or whatever. And so I need to pick the piano teacher that's going to get her on track for mm. that big dream. And it's like, no, 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 no. The kid's five. Mm. What you need to find right now is a piano teacher that's going to make it so that when your kid is 15, it's still like got piano practice this week. Yep. That's really the goal, you know, is to build that enthusiasm and that relationship to it that young. And, and that's that's sort of the transition. That's the, the stuff that I just said was like podcast six. Now, when we get talking about kids, you just nailed it. What the main thing that you want for kids is you want it to be fun. Yeah. And you might be sitting there, but I want the world champ. Yeah. I want a world champ. I don't want fun. I'm telling you, fun leads to world champ. Hatred of the sport does not lead to world champ. It leads to someone that's not even doing jujitsu anymore. Oh, yeah. So make it fun. Also, the kids program, see who's te- actually teaching the kids program. Because sometimes you'll have a head instructor that's a black belt. And maybe the kids instructors a purple belt, and that might be that's fine. A purple belt, believe me, a purple belt can teach kids classes unbelievably well, and that's great. Just make sure that the, the, the whoever's actually instructing the kids is good to go. You know, is a, seems like they're going to have fun with it. Same same questions are is the does the kids instructor look miserable? Mm-hmm. If so, that's going to suck. Like they're going to they're not going to be enthusiastic about it. So make it fun, find a place. It's really easy if you're worried about the, what is it, like the the fake instructors, just Google them and figure out, like, have they, did they compete before? Where'd they get their belts from? Did they get their black belt from? You know, I had to travel to Far East Asia to learn the ancient art of, of, EC jiu-jitsu. That's Echo Charles jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Got it. So it's really well documented these days. The days of sort of fake dojos, I'd love to say those days were over, but they're obviously not. Yeah, in yeah, jiu-jitsu, yeah. they're, they're kind of not. They're kind of not, right. Yeah, in other martial arts, yeah. apparently, from what I'm seeing, they're yeah. still there. Wouldn't you say, even, even when, you're talking about ki- when you're talking about kids that young, you know, if there's a place that happens to be right by your house and the instructors, like, you know, they're not, some big competitors or anything. I don't right, mean, like right. big achievements, but it's fun. Your kids like it. They're good with the kids all day long. Yeah, you can move your kids to a you know a better gym in three years when they're yeah. eight and ten or whatever. I mean, but if it gets them into it, yeah, that's really what you want. You want your kids to get into it. Yeah, yeah. I, five years old. By the way, five years old is sort of when I was teaching a lot of my kids kids classes. F- five years old is where they can start to um, 
absorb yeah. and they're paying attention for long enough and they can now look there's some kids that are when they're four four was the youngest I ever there was one kid that I had that was four that was just in the game totally in the game most and that's out of hundreds of kids mm-hmm. most kids that are four years old it's a babysitting class it's yeah. all it's awful yeah. so instead of doing that if you got a four-year-old Bring them to the mat yourself or get some mats for your house and roll around with yeah. them and show them this is the mount and then teach them how teach them the movements and move with them. That's gonna be more helpful than forcing them into a a, a place where it's a one hour class and yeah. after twelve minutes they're freaking done training yeah. mentally. So yeah. make that's it fun. True. All right. I think that's all we got for tonight. Uh as usual. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting the cause. Look, we do this for a couple reasons. Number one, we don't want to have to be we don't have to be controlled by sponsors or by platforms. So we did this so that no matter what happens, no one's going to tell us, "Hey, you can't talk about this, that, or the other thing." And they also can't say, "Oh, you know what? We're going to throw a commercial in the middle of your freaking podcast." Which does happen with some of our some people that uh, some platforms that play our podcast they stick com- is that that's true right they stick commercials in the middle of our podcast yes depends on where where you're listening to it or right watching it. so I don't like yes. that I don't want you to have to gut through that you don't want to gut through that I I actually despise advertisements in I podcasts know, do you <laughs> yes sir uh, well it depends on what you mean by despise but. Mm. <clears throat> For the most part, I will encounter this situation, let's say, for example, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think I might have told you this offline, maybe online. I don't know. But, you know, uh, I, I got a whatever premium. What's yep. it called? YouTube. The one YouTube you, premium. You get. Yeah. It used to be red. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so they don't play commercials before, during, whatever. They don't play commercials. Awesome. And it's cool. And I just sort of got used to it and took it for granted. Now, when I log into I have other YouTube accounts that I whatever manage, whatever you want to call so when I log into those ones and I'm doing whatever, uploading whatever, and then like, oh, I see a video and I click on it and the ad starts playing, all freaking take, catching me off guard. Well, yeah, I despise that. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I do have to say there there are exceptions. Like, you know, certain movie trailers come on. I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't know yeah. that was on. But for the most part, yeah, despise uh, advertising. Well, that's how I feel, too. <clears throat> that's how I feel, too. And I don't like it in podcasts either. In fact, both of them drive me crazy. I understand. Uh, look, do they drive me crazy? That's a, since we were talking about insanity earlier. <laughs> I guess that's a little bit much, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all. It's it's disruptive. Mm-hmm. Daryl, what was your last? What was the last Martyr made? Was it eight hours? It was. Well, the last one was about a half hour. I put out a okay, short the, one, the yeah, one before yeah, that. Eight and a half hours. Yeah. Eight and a half hour podcast from Daryl Cooper Martyr. All made. day. By the way. All yeah, day. Yeah. So. There's no advertisements in there, but if you start sticking advertisements in there, I'm gonna be angry and so anyways That's what we're doing here. We don't have to be We don't have to be controlled by advertisers We don't have to be controlled by sponsors and it's because of you so we appreciate you supporting the underground and as always you can get supplements from jockofuel.com You can get jujitsu gear boots jeans clothing from originmain.com You can also get well, if you want to represent while you're on the path, yes, as Echo Charles likes to say, okay. you can go to JonkoStore.com. I got a bunch of books you can read, kids' books too. And I have a leadership consulting company called Echelon Front. You can go to EchelonFront.com for that. Daryl also has a podcast called Martyr Made. And we have another podcast called Unraveling. 
which we're going to record in a little bit. Anyways, on the interwebs, Daryl is at Martyr Made. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. And thanks for joining us in the dark world of the underground. And until next time, this is Daryl and Echo and Jocko. Out.